0: So, what is prayer? And um, This talk is not really uh, just an exposition of this passage. I want to um, uh, think a bit more widely about what the different phrases uh, in the Lord's Prayer are about. Uh, you may know I've written a book on it uh, called Our Father. Uh, by accident, I think it was quite good in the end. Uh, other things I've written are not so good. But if you um, wanted to find a good prayer, on, uh, book on the Lord's Prayer, um, Our Father is a decent read. Um, so, what is prayer? Prayer means... Speaking to God. It's our side of that personal conversation that is at the heart of a Christian's relationship with God. Uh, we, listen, we listen to the voice of God's Spirit in the words of the Bible, and we respond to Him in words of prayer. And the Bible celebrates the extraordinary privilege of prayer. The Bible encourages us that God is always listening, that He gives us peace when we talk to him about the things that worry us. And the Bible celebrates that he always does what is best when we pray. It might not be what we wanted to happen, but he will always do what is best for us in becoming more like Jesus. Of course, communication makes a relationship. And uh, throughout Christian history, but also in personal experience, uh, you will find that um, periods of close communion with God are marked by delighting in God's word in the Bible and responding in passionate prayer. Because prayer is a bit like breathing. Uh, If it becomes restricted, we soon become ill. Uh, I I love a passage from um, a classic little book called Praying in the Spirit, published in 1662, by uh, John Bunyan, who's the author of A Pilgrim's Progress when he was in Bedford Jail. And he brilliantly defined prayer with these words. A sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has promised, or according to His Word, for the good of the Church with submission and faith to the will of God. And each of those little phrases tells us something important. Mm -hmm. Firstly, that real prayer is sincere, that is, honest. For otherwise, James 4 says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So don't be surprised if God doesn't answer our prayers when our heart's motives are not right. Real prayer is sensible, that is, passionate. Because, Jeremiah 29, you shall seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So don't be too casual in prayer. Pray with passion. Real prayer is affectionate, that is, confident in God's goodness. For James 1 says, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So if you don't expect God to be listening, and don't bother praying, but pray rather in confidence that he will do what is right. Real prayer is through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit. That is empowered by the Holy Spirit and conveyed to the Father by the Holy Spirit. For Romans 8 tells us the Spirit intercedes for us. So the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. And therefore don't worry if you don't know exactly the right words. Because the Holy Spirit understands what you're trying to pray. Real prayer is for such things as God has promised. That is, claiming what God offers in his word. For 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So pray for the things that the Bible tells you God wants to give you. Real prayer is for all the saints for the good of the church. That is not selfish, for Ephesians 6 says, keep on praying for all the saints. So try and pray for others, as well as yourself. Real prayer is with submission to faith, to the will of God. That is surrendering to God's will, rather than insisting on our own. Matthew 7 says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He wants to give us good things. So pray in faith that he wants to give us. But if prayer is not about getting God to submit to our wills, but about submitting ourselves to his will, well, the obvious question at that point is, what's the point of praying then? If prayer is not going to get God to do what I want him to do, well, why bother? After all, you see, 1 Samuel 15 says, God does not lie or change his mind. So, God doesn't change his mind. So, what's the point of praying? I thought the point of praying was to change his mind and get him to do what I want instead of what he was going to do. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, He knows what you need before you ask Him. So, He already knows what I need. So, what's the point of praying then? I can't change His mind if I do, and He doesn't need me to do it because He already knows what I need. I thought I was telling Him what I need. He already knows. What's the point of praying? Why should we pray? Well, in a masterly chapter on prayer, the great theologian, John Calvin, clarified six reasons for prayer. Firstly, dependence. So that our hearts, he says, become inflamed with burning desire to seek love and serve him and become accustomed in every need to flee to him as to a sacred anchor. In other words, in prayer, we learn to depend upon God. We, we learn by, by praying to realise that we need him. Secondly, purity. So that our hearts don't nurture desires and longings of which we'd be ashamed to make him a witness. It's amazing, isn't it? There are all kinds of things you sort of mull in your mind. I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Well, when you pray for them, you, you find yourself, I can't actually ask for that. That's pretty selfish. And it purifies the things we want. Thirdly, gratitude. So that we learn to receive his benefits with true Gratitudes. In prayer, we learn to be content with what our our Father provides. In other words, it may be we've asked God for things we thought he would want to give us. He doesn't give us those things. But since we've asked him, then we can be content. Okay, God knows I asked for it. I did ask for it. He He hasn't given it to me. Maybe he knows I should just get on with what he's given to me. It teaches us contentment. Instead of constantly wishing we had things we haven't got, we can be content and say, well, it's not God's will. At the moment. For that thing I I would love to have. But he hasn't given it to me. Uh, Enjoyment, fourthly. Maybe it's fifthly, I can't remember. That we may embrace with greater delight the things we receive from prayer. In other words, when we pray for things and God gives them to us, we can enjoy them so much more. God wants me to have these things. I asked for this. He's given it to me. And now I can enjoy it as a gift from him. And lastly, trust. Trust. So that we learn to confirm his providence. That is, we learn to trust God to provide our daily needs and never, ever let us down. In other words, it's a relational thing. Calvin summarizes prayer as digging up the treasures promised to us in Scripture. And certainly it is our experience that God delays giving us the things that he plans to grant us until we ask for them in prayer. Do you see? He doesn't change his mind. But he always planned to give them to you when you finally asked for them. So although God has always planned to give them, from our perspective things change when we pray. He encourages us to talk to him by withholding gifts until we pray. That's why things happen when we pray. When we finally pray, he gives to us the things he wanted to give to us. But he delayed to giving them to us until we prayed much as a parent will withhold gifts from a toddler until they ask properly, "'Want sweets now?' "'Ask me nicely.' "'I want them now!' "'Ask me nicely.' Why are you teaching a child to do that? To teach them some respect for the one who gives the gifts to them. You don't just let children have whatever they want, whenever they want it. You ask them to ask you as a parent for them, to develop the relationship, so they don't think sweets just grow on trees.' at least I don't think they do, is to teach children relationally to depend upon a parent. In the same way, our Father wants to teach us humble dependence upon Him, and for us to pray in dependence and purity, with gratitude, appreciation, enjoyment and trust, by withholding blessings until we learn to talk to Him. There was once a godly Archbishop of Canterbury who was asked by a sceptical journalist if answers to prayer were simply coincidences? He apparently wisely replied, I don't know, but when I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening too. <laughs> well, how should we pray? Most British Christians struggle to pray. The congregational prayer meeting is often seen as optional, when it shouldn't be. It should be the most best attended meeting of all. Individuals who feel far from God and say they feel spiritually dry will admit to chronic prayerlessness. The excuses are always familiar, too busy, too stressed, too disappointed. But we find time for football and Facebook and fitness. But of course the truth is, however impressive we are in public, as McShane once said, what we are on our knees before God is what we are, and no more. Now as children of God, when you become a Christian, you do want to pray, for the spirit for God in us urges us to speak to our Father. But our sinful natures remain, and so it's part of that inner war between God's Spirit and our sinful human nature. I don't know about you, I find it a battle to pray. And even when I've got time, I'm sitting at my desk, I'm actually get paid to pray. And still I'm sitting there thinking, oh, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, the other. And then when I actually get praying, it's a great joy. Maybe you're uh, ahead of me, you probably are. Good books can help. Don Carson's book, Spiritual Reformation, is really good. Guilt can help too. Guilt's a great thing to get you praying. Uh, In other words, if you're not praying, you might be a husband who's failing his wife, or a mother neglecting her children, or a pastor abandoning his flock, or a liar who betrays his friend. Guilt's a really good, helpful force to help you remember to pray. But when struggling disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, it's interesting, he didn't give them a book, and he didn't rebuke them. He gave them the Lord's Prayer and as a chronic activist myself i can tell you that the lord's prayer is a wonderful pattern to prayer uh, i've found it useful nearly every day i use it as the pattern for my prayers and it's priceless for three reasons firstly it comes from the lord of prayer jesus was the prayer expert as god he knows what prayer god will answer as god's son he knows how to approach the father and as a human he understands our weakness In addition to daily Jewish prayers, the Gospels emphasise that Jesus prayed privately and he responded to crises and decisions by praying. Luke 5 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Indeed, what's he doing at the moment? Praying for us. He's in the presence of the Father, reminding the Father constantly that despite our wickedness, we are the people for whom he's died. It isn't exactly as Jesus would pray. The Lord's Prayer isn't quite exactly what Jesus would pray because Jesus didn't need to ask forgiveness for sins. But all the themes of his prayer do appear in his other New Testament prayers because they were his priorities. You see, we're learning to pray properly from our older brother, the Son of God and the Lord of Prayer. So it comes to the Lord of Prayer. Secondly, it's a wonderfully flexible prayer. In Luke 11, Jesus gives it as words to use. Say this, not mindlessly, but use these words. In Matthew 6 here, he gives it as a pattern or an outline for prayer. In fact, each phrase can be a heading for expansion. Since Jesus was speaking before his death and resurrection, lots of the phrases are undeveloped. Forgive us our sins. I mean, you could spend weeks praying that prayer, or you can just say, forgive us our sins. We know so much more now that he's died and more has been written by his apostles to help us understand every phrase. But each phrase summarises the key themes that he wants us to pray about.
1: So we can enlarge
0: each phrase with later teaching and personal application. That means, of course, the Lord's Prayer is simple for a child, but it'll defeat the scholars. I suppose it's like clothes that we grow into. And uh, I think we can use the prayer, just use the the phrases, pray it on the train. If you've had no time any other time, close your eyes, pray the Lord's Prayer, pray the words. And as time goes by, you'll be able to fill the phrases with more and more things. And it gives a gospel shape to prayer, thirdly. It is a work of divine genius. It's a miracle of theological impression. A few simple words reveal the impact of the gospel upon us. For in Jesus, God is firstly our Father. That's the form of address. He's moreover our Lord. That covers the first three petitions. And then he is our Saviour. That's the second three petitions. This reveals Christ's priorities for prayer and of course what you pray for is what you need in life. In other words, the Lord's Prayer tells us what's most important for our lives because these are the things we want God to help us with in life. In fact, such prayer is part of the disciplined righteousness required by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount which is the context of this passage. He's actually talking about how to live for our Father in Heaven and the Sermon on the Mount is dominated by a relationship with God as our Father. Living to please God as our Father. In fact, the Lord's Prayer seems to be upside down to us as sinners. I don't know about you, but when I grew up as a Christian, I could not work out why asking for the forgiveness of my sins didn't come to the fourth petition. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I always think, asking forgiveness, that's the first thing I need to say, because there's so many, I think, that's, you've got to start with forgiveness. Why is it only the fourth petition? And uh, didn't discover for years really the reason is because you're not that important you're not first in the priorities of God's plans for the universe you're fourth as it were in other words we get things we think that prayer is all to us it's not it's not it starts with him you see prayer is not about getting God to obey us like a genie in a bottle not about getting God to do us what we want. It's about committing ourselves to God's priorities. The first request, the first three, all concern God. Your name, your kingdom, your will. After that, then we ask for our daily bread, our debts, and lead us. See, this is a gospel-shaped prayer. It's wonderful for personal prayer. It's wonderful for praying by someone dying in a hospital. It's wonderful to pray around the tea table with the kids. It's wonderful to pray in church each week. And it's a great summary of Christian doctrine because it's teaching the primary themes of the Christian life. And although our Heavenly Father will patiently tolerate silly requests, just as parents patiently tolerate toddlers demanding sweets, it would be really helpful if we grew up and asked for what God delights to give us. And we learn that from this treasured everywhere, flexible gospel-shaped outline given to us by the Lord of Prayer, Jesus. Three simple things for you to learn from this prayer. Firstly, prayer is talking to our Father in heaven, Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray, verse 9, our Father in heaven. That first phrase, our Father in heaven, well, it summarises the entire Christian gospel, the whole message of the Bible, indeed the plans of eternity. When you think about it, that little phrase summarizes everything. We forget how stunning it is to call our Creator and our Ruler our Father. The Aramaic word "father" (Abba), which Jesus uses, means "dad." Um, that it's it's more affectionate than "father." but it's more respectful than pops or something like that. It's dad. No human religion, and certainly no Jewish teacher, ever dared to call the supreme being, the God of the universe, the living God, Yahweh. Dad! That is an absolutely mind-blowing privilege, to call God dad. And Jesus says, start your prayers, our dad in heaven. You see, Jesus knew that the first principle and the rocket engine that drives us to prayer is not techniques, but theology. It's not how to pray, but who we pray to. This opening summarises the whole work of Christ, the whole miracle of grace, the basis of Christian prayer, that we are the children of God. You see, Israel was adopted as God's son but rebelled. A king was promised who would be God's son and when he arrived, Jesus turned out to be the eternal, eternally God the Son, united with the Father and the Spirit in love and power. Amazingly, through faith in him, we share in, we are incorporated into his privileges. So as he prays to the Father, to his Father in heaven, in him we're entitled to pray to our Father in heaven. It's almost like we climb into the Trinity. We climb into the presence of God. We don't have to shout at God who's a long way away. We can whisper to God because we live in him. You see, Christ swapped places with us. He was punished for our sins in our place so that we might be accepted as sons in his. So we now enjoy the love of the Father. We enjoy the indwelling of his his Holy Spirit. We enjoy the care of his family here at church and further afield. We enjoy our inheritance in his kingdom and we enjoy his constant attention. Do you know he never, ever, ever takes his eyes off you? Once you become a Christian, you're his child. You're his adopted child of the Father in heaven. He never takes his eyes off you. As adopted children, you see, we can speak in everything to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, God can do much more for us than most of the people we bring on our mobile phones. It's very interesting, you know, what do you happen when something goes wrong at work? Something goes wrong at work. You finally leave the office, climb on the train, what do you do next? You'll never guess what happened today. Is that mum? Is it a friend, husband, or a wife? Your Father in Heaven is waiting to hear from you. I can change things. Talk to me. The great theme of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is living for the Father, praising Him, imitating Him, pleasing Him, trusting, obeying, talking to Him. The special feature of Christian giving and praying and fasting in verses 1 to 18 is doing it for the Father. So we pray, not publicly for popular approval, like hypocrites, but privately, for our Father's approval. Not babbling words to manipulate him like pagans. You don't have to pray the same prayer a thousand times to get his attention, but trusting your Father to know what you need. And so prayer begins, our Father in heaven. We say our Father because we're aware of the needs of others. We're not the only children who need his help. We say in heaven, aware that he's the Almighty who dwells on high and is worthy of some respect and confidence too. And we pray, Father, worthy he loves us passionately and perfectly. I love my kids. I love them passionately. If I can do anything, I'll protect them from any harm. But I don't love them anywhere near as much as God loves them. Unlike human fathers, God is always available, always knows what is best for us. He's always patient and kind. He's always able to do or to provide whatever we need. He is generous, but wise. He's firm in discipline, but he's quick to forgive. He never breaks a promise, and he goes with us everywhere. He is the best father anyone could want, especially precious for those who don't know who their father on earth is. Indeed, our father took us from the spiritual gutter where we were dying from our addiction to sin. He's restored us, welcomed us into his family, brought us to his table Put us into his son's room and even welcomes us into his presence every day. So when we pray, we need to begin by remembering who we're talking to. That our dad in heaven is absolutely delighted to hear from us. So Jesus reminds us, your adopted children, beloved by the father, talk to him. He'd love to hear from you. Speak to your father in heaven. Secondly, then, prayer is submitting to our Father as Lord. This is verses 9 to 10. So the three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All the petitions concern the future kingdom, but they've already begun happening since Christ's coming. The first three petitions are all about our Father as our Lord. Hallowed be your name means may your character be respected. See, God's names reveal his character. So if he's called El in the Old Testament, that means sovereign. If he's called El Elyon, that means God most high. Lord, in capital letters, Yahweh, means faithful redeemer. He's called Yahweh Jireh, Lord provider. Lord gives peace, Yahweh Shalom. Many, many names for God in the Old Testament, for the God who is our Saviour. And of course, when he became flesh, he was called Jesus. God saves. And at this name, everybody, presidents, prophets, people will one day bow. So to hallow his name is to honour, respect and worship him with reverent speech and honouring behaviour. So when we say, hallowed be your name, we're praying, Lord, please may I respect you. Please may everyone respect you. Please may my family respect you. May I give you the honour that is your due today. And frankly, as someone who's always tempted to boast and go on about stuff, to pray that is really helpful. Help Help me to sing your praises today instead of my own. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come means may your rule be welcomed everywhere. Uh, The kingdom, of course, is God's gracious rule that's revealed and promised to us in the scriptures. And it's being established by the gospel in the hearts of all those who submit to the king. So the kingdom of God is not just where you see good things happening. They happen by God's grace. But it's only the kingdom of God where the king rules. And so as people submit to the king, when they accept the gospel that Jesus is our king, they become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said, this kingdom is not yet of this world, it will come with Christ, and so we pray. Your kingdom come. We long for Jesus, the King, to come with his rule, with his kingdom. So here, you see, we're, we're asking that we would submit to Christ, and we're asking for others to come to Christ. So this is when I pray for my non-Christian friends to become Christians. Please may my family become Christians. Please may Gordon and Stephen become Christians. And we also ask, of course, in when we say, please may your kingdom come, we're also praying, please may the king come. Uh, for myself, when uh, my life often seems in chaos, I'm praying to, praying to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please come. Father, please send Jesus to sort everything out. I can't cope. I need the king to come. Please send him. But not until my in-laws have become Christians and Stephen and Gordon. But please send them quickly, Lord. Please send Jesus. Because I'm asking for the end of the world. Your kingdom come. Hey, look out at the suffering of the world. Lord, please end the suffering. Please send Jesus. May your kingdom come. And then we pray, may your will be done. That is, may your plans be accomplished in everything. Now, God's will, of course, is both what He decrees to happen all around us. You read about it in the papers. But it's also what He commands should happen within us. We we'll read about that in the Bible. So here we're praying, Lord, it's good that your will is being done in the world. We're also praying, Lord, please do your will written in the Bible in my life. Please help me to submit to your rule. May your will be done all around me and in me. And like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that Andy read from earlier, we accept God's plans for the world and for our lives. And we agree to obey his rules. So we pray your will be done. We're, we're submitting, we're surrendering to God. May your will be done. And this This is where I pray for all the meetings of the day. May your will be done. Lord, I'd really like commission to do this. Please, will that be your will be done. i really like if our church could do that. May your will be done. I'd really like my kids and my wife to do that, but may your will be done. And I've got to go, this is where you pray for the business of the day. May your will be done. Praise here, submitting to our Father as Lord of our lives and of our world. Thirdly, Prayer is trusting our Father as Saviour. And here we come to the second three petitions in verses 11 to 13. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the second three petitions rely on our Father as our Saviour for all that we need in life. Firstly, give us today our daily bread. That is his provision We recognise that God provides our needs. We recognise that others also need him. And that we depend upon him every day. The background, of course, is in the idea of the manna that was provided by God for Israel in the desert. But, of course, that manna is fulfilled in Jesus, who is the bread of heaven, given to us for our daily needs. And so daily bread that we ask for, not daily cake and extravagance, but daily bread for all that we need, Includes our physical needs, food, clothing, jobs, homes, health. This is where I pray for please fix my knee, please let my daughter pass her exam. I pray for the daily things that God provides us. Please would you give us all the money we need, please would you raise the money for the church, all that's daily needs, physical things that our Father loves to provide for us. It also means our spiritual needs, the living bread. Thank you for sending Jesus. Please feed me spiritually. Please feed my family spiritually with the living bread of Jesus. The bread from heaven. But it's also the bread for eternity. Because back in the Old Testament, the background is that the bread is for the Sabbath rest. It's for the day to come. So please also give us our eternity for life in the Sabbath rest of the kingdom of God. So here we're asking God to sustain us by his word and everything forever. By his bread. That is, all our basic needs. Lord, please give us everything we need. Physically, spiritually and eternally. That's our provision. Please provide. And then forgive us our debts. That is, our pardon. That is, please forgive the debts we owe. Please cancel the debts through Jesus' death on the cross. So here we're confessing our sins. Many sins. We're asking for forgiveness. And we're renewing our repentance. We confess and apologise, not because our pardon is now in doubt. Once you get forgiven by, by, by God, you are completely and eternally and forever forgiven. So why pray this? As a reminder to ourselves, Jesus says, remind yourself that you need every day to be forgiven. Now God will, because Jesus died for you on the cross. But we're to rehearse this daily. To remember that we need constant pardon from our Father in Heaven. You see, it's not because our pardon is in doubt, but it's to restore the relationship with the Father. We ask for forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross because God has promised it. And we renew our commitment to forgive others and pray for our enemies. Because only those who are impacted by God's forgiveness enough to forgive other people can assume that we're forgiven ourselves. See, if, if you can't bring yourself to forgive other people for the things they've done wrong to you, perhaps unjustly and unfairly, perhaps over many years. But if you can't forgive them, then you clearly don't understand how much you've been forgiven. So Jesus is saying it's only those who can forgive others who can assume that you're forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Now I know where there's been a long history of abuse and, and, uh, and uh, mistreatment. That is a really hard thing to do and it's often a process and it's often fluctuating. But by God's grace, the impact of his forgiveness in our lives is that we can forgive, we begin. We can forgive, even though it's shaky. So forgive us our debts. We pray for the complete pardon of our sin. And lastly, deliver us from evil. That is protection. We ask for protection from testing in suffering. Uh, you, you see, the, the bad things that God lets happen to us uh, can go one of either way. Satan intends the bad things of our lives to tempt us to sin by doubting God's goodness. Whereas God intends those bad things to test us. It's the same word. To test us and to increase and strengthen our faith. As we trust in him despite the difficult things that are happening. Do you see? So the same things happen in our life. Satan is wanting to use them to, dis- to tempt us away from God but God is wanting to use them to test our faith with the purified and make our dependence upon him stronger, even when we're not experiencing good things. So here, you see, we're asking for protection from testing. Jesus asked to be spared from the cross, and so we ask our Father to lead us through life, sparing us from the testing that we dread. But of course it's also protection from Satan. Satan was defeated at the cross but he's not yet destroyed and so we ask for continuing deliverance from him. Lord, please protect us from Satan dividing our church, from Satan tempting us to sin. Please protect us. So you see, provision, pardon and protection, they're the things that we need from our Saviour. So the first principles of prayer are to know who we're talking to. When we pray, we're talking to our Father who loves us and who loves to give us good things. So pray to him. We're praying to our Lord who rules our lives and is growing his kingdom. So pray to him to be part of his plans for the salvation of the world. And we're praying to our Saviour who supplies all our needs. So pray to him. For the provision and the pardon and protection that you need every day. Pray to Him because He loves to be our Saviour. Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. So I think we're going to do that now and we're going to do it from the prayer that was on your sheets. Incidentally, the words that we normally pray at the end, for thine is the world, they're not in the Bible, they're just good words. Somebody added on. So shall we uh, leave those? words. Could somebody very kindly lend me your version so I don't get the trespasses version? <laughs> Thanks, Let's bow our heads and let's pray this Lord's prayer together from the sheep to beginning our Father in heaven. Together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We're going to
1: stand and sing. Like, hallow the name of uh, God in this uh, last... Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see the sky. sent him to die i scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin and sings my song Uh, the children, I'm sure, will be ready. Well, there we go, already they're ready uh, to collect uh, after their groups. A few notes, if I can, uh, just to, to remind you uh, the book that Richard's mentioned is actually quite good, <laughs> it's really good. And um, I know James has just recently read it, and Nick most of it for a Cornhill talk, so uh, you can repeat we'll them later for that. Um, <clears throat> uh, but we don't have books available for sale here. But what we'll do is we'll put it on the blog, so you can click a link and go straight to. Amazon Goodbook or someone like that to be able to go and buy it. Um, and so we'll make that available probably today, maybe tomorrow. Uh, if you haven't got it and you just want to borrow it, I've got a copy and I'm sure many others have to here too. And I'll bring them or just email me and I'll make that available. Um, the other thing, of course, uh, to remind you, prayer meeting later uh, in the week and Tuesday, of course, we'll all be there. No problem at all. Um, and uh, you'll notice a little voucher on the back of your sheets if you're new amongst us. Some of us just popped down next door, there's a a meal voucher there um, for after the service. Um, Next week we're beginning a series uh, looking at uh, the great eight, probably my my top three certain chapters of the Bible, Romans chapter eight. We're spending seven or eight weeks uh, looking at that chapter. So can I just encourage you, um, on the way to work, sometime, read the chapter. Uh, We're going to be really delving into it, just the first four verses next week but spending a good deal of time. It is a wonderful assurance for our faith in Christ. Look, what a privilege we've had to gather together and to hear the word taught and explained in that way. So why don't we pray as we close. Then sings my soul, my Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. Lord, please forgive us for the times over the last week where we've not been recognising that in our own minds, in our hearts, in our lives, perhaps at work. Your greatness is beyond compare, and therefore as tomorrow begins, as the routine of work life and family life goes on, please give us uh, the discipline but also the joy to know that we ought to be coming to you, to exalt you, to praise you, to recognise how great you are. We thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. We thank you just for that amazing beginning of that we can call you our father, daddy. What an amazing achievement that is, that you have provided your son in order for that to be even possible. For us even to begin to approach you in that way. So thank you and may our lives this week be an offering of thanks for all that you have done. May they be pleasing to you, honouring to you. We pray in your powerful son's name. Amen. As I said before, please do join us um, after the service. Now, upstairs, refreshments. So we've got kids, go get them. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back here next week. Thank care.